All right, in um, chapter uh, 8 of Job, the book of Job, Bildad, the last thing we saw, he basically um, offering uh, Job advice. He was offering Job a graceless uh, works-based religion. We saw that. He, he told Job that in order to get out of the suffering that he was going through, uh, he had to straighten up his life and, and fly right. And how, how many times have you heard that? So, despite the fact that Job is, is adamant about the fact that he doesn't know of any unrepentant sin in his life uh, for which God is uh, punishing him, um, even though that's the case, Bildad assures him that God does not allow suffering to come upon innocent people. So there must be some sinful reason uh, that's uh, present in Job's life. Uh, and that's why God is, is doing this to him. That's Bildad's advice. And and as you can imagine, this uh, <laughs> it, it doesn't sit too well with Job. Um, first of all, it means that that Job needs to pick himself up by his bootstraps and get himself together if he wants to be uh, free from this suffering. He just needs to uh, to uh, turn back to God, as it were. You know, find the sin that's causing this and and get rid of it, and and you can be whole again. And second of all, it means that God works uh, without grace and only on the basis of merit. If Bildad's correct and no innocent people suffer, and I use the term innocent, hopefully you understand what I mean by now. There's no one truly innocent, but you know that uh, what I'm talking about is that there's no direct correlation between uh, the sin, uh, a particular sin that has caused the suffering. If if people that are quote-unquote innocent suffer and all uh, if if nobody suffers that's innocent is what I mean to say, and all the guilty people suffer, as as Bildad has said, then there's no such thing as mercy or grace. Uh, because God uh, doesn't give mercy or grace. He gives suffering to those who deserve it, and he gives blessing to those who deserve it. So even more than this, though, if Job is suffering and Bildad is not suffering, and we see that is what's going on, then Bildad is implying that he himself is more righteous than Job because he is not suffering. And so, you know, Job must be on a lower lower level of righteousness. So there's a lot going on in, in Job uh, chapter 8, when Bildad is given his advice to Job, um, it is true, let me say that it is true that God will discipline his children. Sometimes that includes suffering. So uh, we can't just write off the fact that all suffering um, is not some form of chastisement or, or discipline from God. But we know that in this case, Job is not being disciplined because of some particular sin in his life. We've already been told that. So we can't equate that all suffering is um, uh, traceable to a certain sin for which God is disciplining. Um, in the larger sense of the big picture, the big story, we know that all suffering is because of sin. We live in a sinful world, therefore we have suffering, and we have sickness, and we have uh, disease and all those things. But God is still sovereign in this world. And if anything uh, comes to me through that, then it passes through God's sovereignty first, which means that he has a good purpose in it. I know that's a whole lot to take in. Uh, but I think uh, the author of, of Job here is what he's basically wanting us to see, uh, especially so far, is that um, is that you cannot... Uh, 
you cannot advise someone who is suffering, or you cannot think yourself, if you're suffering, uh, that there is always some direct correlation between um, cause and effect, as in the fa- as in saying, I caused this, and all I need to do to get out of it is to do X, Y, and Z, and then this will fix it. Uh, suffering comes to all in this life, one way or another, uh, at one time or another. So, uh, we are called, especially in the New Testament, we're called to uh, bear the burdens with those who are suffering, not just to uh, tell them how to fix it, you know, and tell them that by working hard or by turning uh, back to toward their own righteousness, they can remove suffering from their life. It's just, it's just not the case. Suffering is going to come. So here in chapter nine, Job <clears throat> is going to respond to Bildad. And in this chapter, Job says many true things about God. This is a very uh, difficult chapter interpretively because Job does say things about God that are true. But here, Job is going to make the mistake that many people make when they're thinking about suffering and evil in the world. Job is going to rightly assert that God is in control of all things. And that's a true statement. And therefore, God has allowed this suffering to come upon Job. And we we know that that's true because we've, we've read the first two chapters where uh, Satan came to God and God said, yes, you may go ahead and, and bring this suffering upon Job. But, you know, God set boundaries over what he could and could not do. And there's a purpose behind what God is doing. But where Job gets off base in his thinking uh, and it happens so often to us, is that he thinks that all of God's actions reflect his character. Now, I want you to think about what that means for a minute. So, if God allows suffering, that must reflect his character that God wants me to suffer. He is a person who enjoys my suffering. And <clears throat> that is not so God uh, sometimes allows things in this world that do not reflect his character. Let me give you an example. Um, <clears throat> you have a baby. If you've had a baby, you know that one of the first things you do as the baby grows and becomes a toddler and, and grows in, in years is you have to go and have uh, immunization shots, right? And so you have to take this baby uh, for his own good. You don't want him to get sickness and you know all the diseases that come and and so you take this baby and you bring him to the doctor you bring him to these people that he's never seen uh these strange people in in weird get-ups and and you hand your baby over and they stick needles in in your baby now uh, we know as parents that this is for the child's good if we do not do this these diseases that run rampant in the human race are going to come, they're going to afflict, and they're going to do what they do. But from the child's perspective, can you imagine what that would be like? That would be like, um, you know, this person that I love, that's supposed to love me, my mother, is handing me over to these evil people that are sticking me with needles, and I'm going through this torment. And you see... The fact that you handed your child over to be stuck with needles doesn't reflect your character or your love for the child. It's for their own good. It's for the the needle sticks and the medicine that they're going to give are for their good. Uh, 
and so God acts and allows things to come into our life. But uh, as scripture says in Romans uh, 8.28, that all things work together for good. God is working all things together for good. And so uh, just because God will allow some sort of suffering come in, coming into my life does not necessarily reflect the character of God that he's standing up in heaven, wringing his hands together, going, ha ha, I'm really going to get him this time. You know, we know that to be the case. But Job here is going to equate the two and there that's where he's going to uh, that's where he's going to get off. Everything God does, he does for a reason, but not all that he does reflects his heart toward us in the sense that we can uh, perceive it, if that makes sense. Uh, we, we Suffering comes and we say, oh, God must be a monster for allowing this to come to me. But God in the heavens for the child, for his children is allowing it for a good purpose. So you can't necessarily say if God allowed this, he must be mean. You know, it's kind of a simplistic way to say it, but that's kind of what Job, that's kind of where Job's thought processes are heading. And so I wanted to make you aware of that before we read it. Uh, first, the first thing Job is, uh, he's going to agree with Bildad's basic premise that man cannot hope to be right before God. That he's going to agree with. And he also understands that God is always fair in punishing uh, the guilty, and man has no basis for disputing God's actions. Uh, chapter 9, verse 1, Job says, it says, Then Job answered and said, Truly, I know that it is so. But how can a man in, be in the right before God? If one wishes to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? Job knows that God is fair and man cannot be just before God. Uh, man has no right to answer back to God about anything that happens and man cannot oppose God's counsel. Uh, God is wise and he's mighty and he cannot uh, be defied without harm. So, uh, so far so good. Uh, all this is right. Job is right on track. He understands that he is not sinless and God has a right to judge him however he sees fit. But but Job is devoted to God, as we have seen. He's offered sacrifices, and he's lived a life of faith. Uh, so Job doesn't know why. All of a sudden, this suffering has come upon him. Yet he is in agreement with Bildad that he doesn't actually have the right to oppose God and challenge him to his face. God is in control of all things, and Job will specifically say, uh, that God is in control in the next section. Uh, he says, uh, verse 5 says, He who removes mountains, God removes mountains, and they know it not, the mountains know it not, uh, when he overturns them in his anger. Uh, who He who, God is the one who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble. Uh, he commands the sun and it does not rise, and he seals up the stars. So here, Job is using... If you've no, if you noticed when uh, we were reading that section, it's all decreation language. It's destruction language. He removes the mountains. He overturns the mountains. He shakes the earth. Uh, he the sun doesn't rise. The stars are sealed up. He's showing that God is in complete control, and 
at least in Job's life, God has turned the creation on its head. He has shaken the very foundation of Job's world so that nothing is as it should be. For for Job, God has commanded the sun not to rise and and overturn the mountains. His whole life is, is in a state of upheaval and he's going through this suffering. But the one thing Job is sure of is that God is in control of the universe. Verse 8 says, God is who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the seas. 9. Who made the bear and Orion. These are, are constellations. The uh, Pleiades, the constellation in the chambers of the south. Verse 10. Who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. God rules the heavens and the seas. He created the constellations in the sky, and there's no way to measure all the mighty works God has done. If he is the creator of all the universe, then he is also the owner. And he alone can do what he pleases with it. Job is saying all this, and we are, you know, as readers of of this text, we, we heartily agree with him. But what this all boils down to is that God is also in control of Job's suffering. And there must be a reason for it. Now, of course, once again, you and I know the reason. But the people in the book haven't figured it out yet. And this is what they're struggling with. This is what's going on. Um, With all this that Job has said so far, we kind of get the feeling that he is about to lay his suffering at the feet of God. He's about to blame God for his suffering uh, since God is the one in control. And now, let me be clear that Job is right in everything that he has said so far, although you know he is an, he has an air about him that that God is messing up his life for no reason, uh, but it is true that God is in control of what's going on. We know that from the text. Uh, Job just doesn't understand it yet, and he is he's starting to jump to conclusions about why God is doing this and what God is doing through this. So next, we're going to see that Job is going to he's going to spiral down into a pit of self pity. And what he says may even be considered uh, to be disparaging to God. Job is, he's wallowing in suffering that he knows God is in control of. And now he's going to start spouting off that God doesn't care about his suffering. He is equating, he's he's equating the fact that uh, if God has allowed his suffering, God must desire his suffering. Um, So... As we continue reading, it says, verse 11 says, Behold, he passes by me, and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Job is saying that even if God was near him, Job wouldn't see him. God seems invisible to the sufferer. Even if he moves past Job, he wouldn't be able to tell. Job's language here is is starting to get more and more pessimistic. For him, God seems mysterious and unreachable. Uh, Even if he wanted to be comforted by God, he thinks God would not be there for him. Um, He wouldn't even know where to look. Uh, We get uh, like this sometimes when when we work uh, from our feelings rather than from what God's word says. Um, He says he'll never leave nor forsake his children. Yet, as soon as we start getting down, we start questioning whether God has left us. So we let our feelings trump God's word. Instead of trusting what God says, we start believing what our our own heart tells us. Uh, the, our heart says that God doesn't love you. He's forgotten you. And that seems to be what Job is getting at here. But, but has God left Job? Let's, 
Let's analyze this as we are readers of the book. Has God left Job? We know from the text itself that God has not left Job. In fact, God sees Job as blameless before him. Uh, God praises Job. Job's feelings about about God's position, about his imperceptibility, his uh, unreachableness, they're just plain wrong. God is not hiding from him or playing games with him, uh, nor does he play games with us. Playing off this thought, Job starts descending further and further into um, an abyss of despair. He, he, he thinks God is hiding from him, and now he's going to say that, that no one can turn God around so that he'll come back to Job. Job says in verse 12, he says, Behold, he snatches away, and who can turn him back? Who will say to him, What are you doing? Verse 13, God will not turn back his anger. Beneath him uh, bowed the helpers of Rahab. Now, that's a weird one. Uh, Job has... It in his mind that God's anger has been unleashed upon him. And, and he, he also understands that God is sovereign and there's no one who can make God relent if he doesn't want to. And no one can stop what God has determined to do. Even the sea monsters, and that's what Job refers to as Rahab, bow down before him. Even these great creatures of the deep bow, bow down before him. Even the powerful creatures of the sea can't turn God's course when he's decided to do something. Uh, so what what hope does puny Job have to turn God back? So here we see Job moving uh, from bad to worse in his view of God. Not only, not only is God hiding from him, or so he thinks, uh, but there is nothing that can be done about it. Job is starting to sound hopeless. Um, although we know the truth about what's going on with God and Job, it, it's beneficial for us to note that Job is coming to a place that many people need to get to. That uh, that place of hopelessness before God, uh, sometimes that's a good thing when it leads us to the only s- source of hope there is, and that's that's Christ. Uh, no man comes bebopping into the presence of God without fear and trembling. Uh, no man can come in repentance to God until he realizes his hopeless state and his desperate need. Job is is going to come to the point where he simply has no other choice than to call out for a mediator between him and God. Um, and this is what our Lord Jesus Christ has, has done for us. Uh, through his death on a cross, he satisfied God's wrath for us, and he made a way for us to be reconciled to a holy God. Um, no other way exists, and to look for another way is to fall deeper and deeper into hopelessness and, and despair. Uh, yet, right now, Job, he, he's continuing in his desperation, and he begins lamenting the fact that God uh, wouldn't even listen to him if he could speak with him. Verse 14 says, How then can I answer him and, and choose my words before him? For though I were right, he's saying, even if I was right, I could not answer I would have to implore the mercy of my judge. If I called and he answered me, I could not believe that he was listening to my voice. Job is so far in despair that he is saying that if God were to actually answer his cries, he wouldn't believe it was truly God because he can't believe that God would be listening to him. Even if Job is right, and and make no mistake, Job believes he is right, he would still have to prevail himself upon the mercy of the judge. He knows that God is holy and that he is not. So Job is turning himself towards a very dark place. He, verse 17, he says, for, for he bruises me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. 
He will not allow me to get my breath, but saturates me with bitterness. Verse 19 says, If it is a matter of power, behold, he is the strong one. And if it's a matter of justice, who can summon him? Though I am righteous, my mouth will condemn me. Though I am guiltless, he will declare me guilty. Job is pessimistic about his case before God because he believes God is pouring out his wrath on him for no good reason. Job is he's he's calling out in about the unfair nature of the situation when he knows he's righteous. He's no he knows not in and of himself but because of his dedication to God because of his sacrifices to God, he knows that there's nothing in his life that would cause this wrath, but yet here the wrath comes and even if he were to bring his case before God, he's just a puny human. He God's not going to listen to him. Job understands he's sinful, but he's been devoted and obedient. And Job here, he cries out that God is wounding him with without cause. In fact, God wouldn't even let him catch his breath. It just seems like one trial after another, and the worst part about the whole thing is that it just won't stop. Anyone can go through a tough time for a moment. Even the hardest things can be endured when we see that there eventually will come an end to the suffering. But Job sees no end in sight. If, if you know, it is a, it, it's, if, it's as if God won't let him rest. Job even admits that if God is just wanting to show his power, well, congratulations, you've done it. If God's wanting to show his justice, then there's nobody who can say anything against him. Um, although Job is wandering off into a desperate place as he... You know, thinks about God. Uh, we'll see that he'll not concede that that he's guilty of some terrible crime which has brought on his suffering. He is starting to speak ill of God as as being unfair as his suffering continues on and on and on. He says, "Though I'm righteous, my mouth condemns me, and though I'm guiltless, he will." Declare me guilty. Job believes that God has done all this to him without cause. Therefore, it must be deduced from God's character that Job doesn't have a chance, even if he actually got to bring his case before God. Um, we see here hints of, of Job accusing God of injustice, but, but he doesn't yet come right out and say that. Uh, Job is coming to the point in his suffering that, that many of us experience when we simply ask God, why are you doing this to me? Uh, Job starts to get explicit in the next few verses. Verse uh, 21, he says, I am guiltless. I do not take notice of myself. I despise my life. Verse 22 says, it is all one. Therefore, I say he destroys the guiltless and the wicked. Look what he's saying there. He, God destroys the guiltless and the wicked. Verse 23, if the scourge kills suddenly, he mocks the despair of the innocent. Now he's starting to... Now he's starting to project his own feelings on God. He's thinking God is up there mocking as the innocent despair. In verse 24, it says, The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of his judges. If it is not he, then who is it? He's taken God's sovereignty and, and he's, he's applied all the things that are happened to him to God's character. So now, for, um, in Job's speech, God is up there looking like some kind of, uh, some kind of monster who's you know, just happy as he can be that people are suffering. Job looks around at his circumstances and he looks around at these, you know, these three clowns who have come to tell him what he needs to do. And he sees that, 
that he's been devoted and faithful, and these guys don't really have a clue about the true God of grace. Yet here he is suffering, and they're not going through anything. They are trying to tell him what he should be doing, but but they're not going through what he's going through. His only deduction from all this is that God must be unjust. He says that, that God destroys the guiltless and the wicked. Nobody gets out alive. Uh, not only this, but but some scourge uh, comes by and he kills the guilty and the wicked in the most horrible way. And God mocks the despair of the innocent. Okay, now Job is getting a little beyond the bounds. He, he is beginning to think that just because God allows something to happen, this must mean that it reflects God's nature. He thinks that uh, since suffering is real and God allows men to suffer, then God must be pleased with suffering and even enjoy watching people suffer. He rightly understands um, he rightly understands that 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 God is in control of all things, but but he fails in understanding that God is working all things toward a good end, but not all things God allows to happen are good things that please him. Um, it, it directly affects the, the analogy. It's just like the analogy of, of a baby getting, getting shots. There's a good reason for it. But now we come to the most important part of, of Job's um, self-discovery. Uh, after all this, even though Job has uh, some misconceptions about God, he is right to see the idea of standing before God defending himself as hopeless. That's a hopeless cause. There is no defense to an all-knowing and all-powerful God. So what Job needs is a mediator. He needs someone to stand in the gap for him and plead his case. He needs a savior. Uh, but first Job continues his line of thought saying that, that even if he could clean himself up, God would plunge him right back down into the dirt. Uh, for Job, time is just simply running out. Verse 27 says, Though I say I will forget my complaint, I will leave off my sad countenance and be cheerful. I am afraid of all my pains. I know that you, God, will not acquit me. Verse 29 says, I am accounted wicked. Why then should I toil in vain? If I even is look at verse 30, if I should wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you, God, would plunge me into the pit and my own clothes would abhor me. Job has lost all hope because whatever God says is right and there's just no arguing with him. And he's he's getting to the point where he's just blaming God for his uh, for his wicked standing before God, we'll put it that way. Uh, he should just abandon all hope and forget his claim. Because verse 32 says, For he is not a man, as I am, that I may answer him, that we may go to court together. There is no umpire, no mediator, no advocate between us who may lay his hand upon us both. He's looking for a man that could lay his hand upon God and lay his hand upon Job and bring the two together. Uh, verse 34 says, Let him remove his rod from me, and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him. But I am not like that in myself. Job understands he needs a mediator. He needs someone who can stand between him and God and facilitate peace. Then Job could speak to God and not fear him. But, but as it stands, Job has no one like this. Of course, we know 
who we're speaking about here. We're speaking of Christ. He is the mediator. He is the one who stands between the sinner and the Father. And who takes the rod of of God's anger away from those who've broken God's law. Uh, We who trust in Christ have exactly what Job is longing for. We have one who advocates to the Father on our behalf. We have one who intercedes. And now we can speak to the Father through the blood of His Son and not fear coming into His presence. Uh, he, He doesn't come boldly to the throne of grace uh, because we are somehow better uh, than Job, but it's because we are actually good in God's sight that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Not better than him, but forgiven. But, but, but we come boldly and we have confidence that he's washed away all that sin and it's sufficient. Uh, Jesus is enough. Although suffering certainly will come in this life, we need not despair as Job is doing here. We need not think that God is up there laughing at us or uh, as we go through the tribulations of life that he's up there mocking. Uh, These things are working for our good. The New Testament tells us to rejoice in the sufferings of this life for they work with patience and let patience have our perfect work. Uh, If we're called according to his purpose and we love him, he's working for our good and, and we can come to God without questions, without concerns. We can come in the midst of our suffering and know that He's there and that He cares and He is compassionate and He's there uh, uh, to bring healing and comfort. Uh, He may not yank you out of the suffering in a moment's time where you're not going through it anymore, but He'll definitely be with you as you go through it. Uh, We may not always get the answer that we're looking for, but we will always come into the presence of a loving and caring Father If we come through Jesus Christ. We won't come. Through a fickle and mocking judge. We come. To a loving and caring father. 